This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hey there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. We're so excited you're here. Thank you for downloading. And as always, thank you very much for listening. It means the world to us. I'm your co host, Bill Smith. It's a joy to be here because we have a really special episode for you today. And when I say we, of course, I have to bring in my amazingly talented co host. He was re recently, re recently, he was recently joined the, the working ranks of. Americans again, instead of sitting on his sofa at home eating bonbons and watching Oprah. He's the gainfully employed Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I wasn't watching Oprah. I was watching To Boldly Go Part 2. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, maybe, oh. Maybe, you sh- maybe you should have watched Oprah. Yeah, I think so. Thanks, man. Always a joy to be here. I'm in a great mood because, yes, now I am gainfully employed. And I appreciate that. Thank you for the, uh, for the call out there. It's great to be here. Episode 121. Oh, God, I'm so looking forward to this conversation, but not looking forward to the reason why we're going to have this conversation. You know, you mentioned it, Toboligo Part 2, Star Trek Continues' final episode was released this past week. It, um, it is everything that today's special guest promised and more. Without a doubt. Uh, I mean, what he promised us doesn't even scratch the surface after seeing it. And, I, and, and you're going to hear it later in the conversation. I will say right now, no spoilers, to me, this is the definition of Star Trek perfection. And I'm not exaggerating. It was everything I could ever have hoped for and maybe one of the best episodes of the original series I have ever had the pleasure of watching. I can't agree with you more. So if people haven't guessed by now, our special guest for today is Vic Mignogna, our dear friend, the eighth time he's appeared on your independent Star Trek podcast. You know, normally, Dan, we would go through and uh, and have a whole bunch of segments, but we decided that this conversation is so great. That's all this episode is. There's no news. There's no episode recap. It is just you and me and Vic. And man, what a conversation it is. It is an amazing conversation. It's 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 really sad in in some respects that it's the last conversation that we have in depth to talk about a brand new episode. But then again, he has got so many stories to tell of behind the scenes and ideas and things that happened during a shoot that I know we're going to be inviting him on again in the future to talk about 
11 different times of stories of all kinds of cool things like that. You know, I was just going to say that this this episode of Trek Geeks is sick with stories because, you know, Vic joked with us off, uh, you know, off mic that he literally has a story for everything. And we thought he was kidding. Oh, <laughs> nope. But he he wasn't. He literally has a story for every facet, not just of this episode of Star Trek Continues, but pretty much every other one, too. Yeah, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be great to have him back on uh, later next year to talk about some additional behind the scenes stuff from any of the episodes because you're absolutely right. We're like, okay, every single thing, and I brought up the slightest of examples of something that I wanted to talk about with this episode, and he's like, got a story for that, and I'm like, oh my god, he's got a story for everything. Literally, it was awesome. <laughs> well, Dan, our listeners may have some stories for us, whether about watching. The final episode of Star Trek continues, or really just about anything else. How might they get those to us? There's a whole bunch of ways that they can do that. On Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks. And you can send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. If you want to hear us a voice, we'd love to hear from you. So call us at 508. Did I say that right? If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that at 508-784-1701. You can also leave us a, a voicemail message by going to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Now, i got to say something. I was going to do a um, Ken Ray impersonation, uh, and it completely screwed me up, so I apologize. But uh, it'll happen one day. Um, another way that you can uh, uh, join in on all the fun is please come on over to our official Facebook group, Camp Kinemer. There's tons of Star Trek talk going on there every single day. There's pictures. There's contests, polls. Bill and I will drop in and insult each other every once in a while, meaning every day. And uh, you're going to get early access to Trek Geeks podcasts uh, before they're released if Discovering Trek is not being aired, so look forward to that. If you want to join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer, and one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you write in to join in on all the fun. You do need to remember that any comments or messages you leave uh, in any of those places may be used in a future episode. But, Bill, I have a special announcement here on the Trek Geeks podcast. What, wait, did I didn't. Did I authorize a special announcement? I don't remember seeing a memo on this. Oh, there was a memo. I, uh, there was a memo, and uh, it's it's big news, and I think you're going to be excited to hear about it. Well, then let's hear it. All right. Anytime, effective immediately. If you'd like to listen to the Trek Geeks podcast, you can head on over to Spotify and download us from that wonderful app. We are so excited about this, aren't we? You know, Dan, that is no joke. I mean, so uh, to give a little inside baseball on this, I submitted us to Spotify a year ago. And it's not like everybody can submit themselves to Spotify. You have to be essentially sponsored by somebody for submission. So in our case, our podcast host, Libsyn, is a partner of Spotify in, in content. And I submitted us for consideration and I got an email about two weeks ago that said, oh, hey, yeah, by the way, you're in Spotify. <laughs> Unbelievable. So it is, you know, an incredibly hard platform to get on. They actually hand curate all podcasts that get added to their environment. So we are one of only a handful of Star Trek podcasts on Spotify, including like Mission Log and uh, some Trek FM and uh, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. So we mm -hmm. are in fantastic company and I am really excited to be on Spotify, Dan. It makes me want to go get Spotify now. 
<laughs> well, perhaps you should, mister. I, I shall, indeed, sir. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And speaking of sirs, with that, we should get to the conversation with our dear friend, Mr. Vic Mignogna. It is always a joy to talk about Star Trek with dear friends, and today is absolutely no exception. This week's guest joined us just a few episodes ago to talk about the first half of the Star Trek Continues series finale, and today he joins us to break down the conclusion of this fantastic story. It is our honor to welcome Vic Mignogna back to your independent Star Trek podcast for the eighth time, but certainly, <laughs> <laughs> certainly not the last time by any means. Vic, oh, I hope not. Vic, on behalf of Star Trek fans all over the globe, congratulations to you and the entire Star Trek Continues family on completing the mission. Well, thank you. And I love you guys to death. And I, uh, I thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. We'll, uh, we'll get into details, obviously, shortly, but I want to also thank you, like Bill did, for making millions of Star Trek fans across the globe cry relentlessly uh, as they watched this last episode. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'd like to apologize for that. <clears throat> but you know what? I, but then again, I don't apologize because I cried buckets of tears leading up to the release of this episode. So it's about time I have a little company. <laughs> oh, I, I totally get it. I I have to tell you, Dan asked me when I finally got to to finish the episode what I thought, and I just I literally couldn't talk about it. I needed time to decompress. To be honest, yeah, it was yeah. it was that powerful. It was that moving. It was that perfect. I don't mind letting that out of the bag right now. It is probably one of the finest hours of Star Trek I've ever watched. Well, I love you for that. Thank you, and that has been our our goal um, from the very beginning was to pay tribute to the series uh, and and end it properly with d dignity and respect and catharsis and uh, love and admiration and reverence. And I feel like we did that. Oh, by oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have a two part question to start with Vic and, you know, since we started doing the podcast, I go back to our first interview ever with Michelle, and I, I listened to it, and I'm like, oh, we were really bad at asking questions. But I've got a two-part question that I gauge on my Mignogna scale, and that is the pause you take in between the time I ask the question to the time you give your answer. And I, I, I look forward to that every single time. And the first part of the question is this, and I'll let you answer it. Now that you've come to the end of this journey, what have you learned about James T. Kirk that you maybe didn't realize before? I don't think that there's anything that I've learned about him as much as I would say something I wanted to bring to him that I don't know was ever really fully realized in the original series. Um... And that is his humanity, uh, his, his, his fallibility, 
you know, um, back in the sixties, a hero was a hero full on. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like he never did, never made a mistake, never misstepped, never screwed up, et cetera, et cetera. But, and, and, and Captain Kirk was a classic hero for the sixties period. But I think I may have told you guys in one of our earlier episodes or one of our earlier uh, interviews that my favorite episode of the original series was Requiem for Methuselah. And it was mainly because at the end of the episode, Kirk is sitting in his quarters lamenting what a jerk he was. Right, right. How poorly, how poorly he handled the situation and how ashamed he was. And I remember thinking, wow, he's human after all. You know what I mean? Wow, he makes mistakes just like we do. And to be honest with you guys, that was actually the impetus for episode four, The White Iris. Right. Was to explore the fact that Captain Kirk, like every other human we know, has mistakes and failures and and regrets in his life and in his past that must be dealt with just like the rest of us. And so one of the things I wanted to bring to this character was a sense of, you know, his, his own humanity, um, his own sense of loss and making the, in, in, and their, their contribution in making the decisions he made about giving up his, his ship, you know, I mean, think about that scene with Admiral Nagura, where he says, you know, five years is a long time, maybe too long. I'm I'm not the man I once was. And Nagura says, you hold yourself to a high standard, Jim. I mean, most most would be happy to be half the captain you are. And what does Kirk say? Half's not good enough. Right. I expect more of myself than I'm able to give any longer, and I could never be happy with that. And and I I so dearly loved and cherished bringing that side of of Kirk's coming to terms with his own shortcomings and his own human you know frailty. Um, so I don't know that I learned anything about him that was already there, if you know what I mean. Sure. But I but I do feel like I I'd like to think that I contributed to the further fleshing out of the character of Captain Kirk. Now, in addition to that, and maybe you see this part of the question coming, you've been on this journey yourself. What have you learned about Vic Mignana? I actually surprised myself with what we've done. I, I'm pleasantly surprised by what I was able to accomplish with the right people and the right team in place. Um, I've learned how much Star Trek meant to me when I was a little boy, even more than I always knew, 
you know? Like, it's one thing to have a couple collectibles sitting around your house because <laughs> you liked something when you were a kid. Right. But it's a completely different level to have spent the time and energy and money and sweat and pain and heartbreak and hope and and toil that I have. All and, and not for any money in return. But only because I wanted to pay tribute. Um, I learned that that it was that it impacted me a lot more than I maybe I ever even realized. I think it's safe to say that it's impacted a lot of people. It's great to hear these insights, Vic. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the story and get some some insights. Um, as we know, this is a bookend to uh, where no man has gone before, and. I had not watched Where No Man Has Gone before since uh, for a long time until after I, we watched part one. And when I was watching Where No Man Has Gone before a couple of weeks ago, the scene where Gary gets hit uh, with the energy uh, is holding on to Smith's hand. Right. I didn't. I did not realize until our discussion that it's the same Smith as Smith in Star Trek Continues. Right. And for me, in part two. The ultimate oblique moment for me was when her eyes turned Esper. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was an amazing, I mean, because this, let's be honest, this yeoman in Where No Man Has Gone Before was nothing more than just a quick character that, that Gary was hitting on before, right. uh, before the, the barrier. Um, what was your thought process into making her, for all intents and purposes, one of the main heroes of this story in saving the ship and humanity, possibly. Well, you know what? All credit for that goes to James Kerwin and Rob Sawyer. And I will not hesitate to give them credit where it is due. They, that was, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't even remember her. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yep. I remembered. If somebody said to me, do you remember when Kirk was calling somebody like Jones and it, it's Smith and, oh, right, whatever. Um, and, and I'm like, yeah, I remember that. But I don't, I have, I don't even remember the girl's face. Like, mm -hmm. I remember that that moment happened in the original series. So when we did Fairest of Them All, which was where Kipley first joined us, and I saw the joke in the script – James said, yeah, I thought it would be fun to make her that character and bring back that joke in the, in the alternate universe. Like, have, have, you know, the same joke exists in the parallel universe um, that Kirk does remember her name. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, that's fun. So we, we did it with absolutely no forethought of how it would play out. Because I have to tell you guys. At that moment in time, when Kipley joined us and and we decided to make her Smith of the Ensign Smith or whatever from that episode, there was no finale. There was no talk of a finale script or a finale story. That wasn't in our minds yet. We were still ramping up. You know what I mean? We were still we were still accelerating at that point. Sure. We were not talking about the ending in any way, shape, or form. So when we got to this story, 
and we're crafting the, the finale episodes. And I read that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love it. And I didn't even realize uh, at the time, you know what I mean, that it was that person. And, and it just and I don't even know whether it was James or Rob Sawyer who identified that uh, that Smith was that same that that I don't know if they went back and looked to see if he was holding her or touching her, but whoever did, James or Rob, probably James, if I know James, um, is brilliant, and it was a wonderful, wonderful plot point to bring in. Yeah, indeed, it was. Let me ask you a, a, a behind the scenes question in regards to Smith. Yeah. Uh, what was Kipley's reaction when she read the script and found out that she was going to be saving the day? Well, you know, I, I didn't talk to her at that, you know, I did, I didn't really get any direct uh, feedback from her. Um, I do know when we shot the scene, she was very emotional about it and, you know, and she wanted it to be just perfect. Um, but I need to remind you guys and your listeners, we shot 10 and 11 in November of last year, one year ago. And then we shot episode nine in February of this year. So we had already shot our series finale. We shot our episodes out of sequence. So the point at which we shot 10 and 11, we had not even done nine yet. So, um, Kipley, uh, Kipley, I, I didn't, while I didn't speak with her directly about it, I know that she was, she was, she took it very seriously. I had actually forgotten about that, that, that you shot episode nine after, after the finale, because one of my questions was going to be, what was it like on that final sh day of shooting? We'll get back to that later, because uh, it'll probably be about episode nine, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, um, I know that you had something that you wanted to uh, uh, possibly read a question from one of our listeners. <laughs> wow, there he goes directing the show again. Wow, he gets... Uh, yes, you know, segues are great. <laughs> <laughs> he gets one podcast under his belt, and he thinks he's running the network. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, rem listen, remember to ask me about the final shot that we took. Rem ask, remember to ask me about that. We'll okay. do. Um, because it wasn't from episode nine. Oh, okay. It, Interesting. It, the last thing that we shot, and on purpose, we purposefully did this. The last thing we shot was Admiral Kirk walking around the bridge. Wow. You know, we, we purposefully, James and I talked about it, and we purposefully, in our shooting schedule for episode nine in February, the last thing we shot was, you know, well, let me say this. The last thing we shot on set, I should say. The last thing we shot on set was Kirk walking around the dark, empty, lifeless bridge. The last thing we shot ever anywhere was the speech that Kirk gave in the auditorium. And we shot that, as you would expect, on green screen at Geek Nation's studios in Los Angeles, probably a month or so after 
we finished shooting in February. It was probably March or April. I can't remember exactly. Probably March or April when we shot um, Kirk's speech with the podium in the admiral's uniform. I have to say that since you brought it up, that final tour of the bridge by Kirk at the very end of the episode, the silence at the beginning of that scene is just so loud. Oh my gosh, isn't it? You, you Can know, I tell you something? Yeah. Can I yeah. tell you something about that? Go ahead. I told you there's a story behind every single thing. Before we released episode 11, and I was still editing episode 11, I just completed the first rough cut of 11. And I did a convention. Where was I? Oh, New York Comic Con. It was before we had even dropped the music in before the orchestra session for episode 11 before the scoring session with uh with andy farber i was at new york comic-con and reka sharma was there and no oh my gosh no it was fan expo in toronto because she was there shooting Discovery. Oh, right, right. Mm-mm. So now we're talking about, like, what, late August, early September. I was at Fan Expo, and Reka came to have dinner with me one night because I was in Toronto. And I showed her. I said, do you want to see some of episode 11? And I, I pulled out my laptop, and I showed her. And we didn't have any music in place yet because we hadn't yet recorded the score that Andy wrote. And when it got to that moment where the doors opened and Kirk is standing there and starts walking around, she watched it. And when it was over and the door shut, she looked at me and she said, the silence on the bridge is so powerful. Yeah. Because no one has ever seen that bridge not lit up and beeping and blinking and humming with with light and movement and energy and sound. And when she said that, I thought to myself, well, we're not going to do the whole scene with no music, but definitely the first half of it we should do with just empty, dead with just the hum of the ambience. Um, so it's funny that you mentioned that because Reka Sharma, two months ago, three months ago, said exactly that same thing to me when she watched a rough cut. Wow. Uh, I actually have three quick comments about that, that final scene, Vic. Um, sure. First of all, when the doors opened... And you were standing there partly in shadow. Uh, I, I, I want this to be as the biggest compliment as possible. If, if you just showed that to somebody, they might think it's Shatner. You are so good at portraying Kirk with the mannerisms and the way that, that, that Shatner. It was a perfect Kirk look. I, that just has stood out to me in the five or six times I've seen that that particular scene uh, since the release of the episode. It just it just is phenomenal with that admiral uniform. I just wanted to pass that along. And, and you know, we purposefully let me also comment again. There's mm-hmm. a story. 
every okay when the when the door opens and Kirk is standing there, go back and look at Star Trek the Motion Picture mm-hmm. when Admiral Kirk steps onto the bridge of the when when Scotty takes him over in the shuttle. And there's that he's in the turbo lift and he kind of closes his eyes and he's like, I'm getting ready to step back onto the bridge of the Enterprise. And the doors open and he's standing there. But if you recall, what what follows is everybody's running around and fixing stuff and everything's broken and nobody even notices at first that he's there. But look at the composition of the shot when the when the turbo lift doors open. And he's standing there, and we purposefully replicated that composition when we took that shot of of the doors opening on the bridge. I think "perfect" is a word we're going to use several times in this conversation. Um, the other thing that I want, the other two quick things I wanted to point out were um, the bridge in silence. I'm going to be selfish for a second for both Bill and I. It reminded me instantly of our visit to your set. Uh, a couple years ago on the last day, right before we left, because the bridge was powered down and Bill and I purposely stood at the turbo lift doors to look at the entire set from that perspective and with no lights and no sound on. And that popped into my mind with that end scene uh, of this episode. Wow. In regards to the silence One of the things that I absolutely loved and for me was one of the more emotional parts of the episode were the end credits, reading all of the names with that bridge ambient sound Mm. playing. That was awesome. Okay, here comes another story. You ready? Do it. (laughs) Yes. Andy Farber had written a theme for Kirk that we recorded when we did the orchestra session back in September. He, he didn't write it to use any place in the episode. He just wrote it because and, – and, and the theme is – the theme itself, the, the melodic theme is used a couple of places. It's used when Kirk uh, starts – when Kirk gives his speech uh, in the auditorium, when he says that's the bad news. The good news is that you will continue, right? And he gives a he gives them the the inspirational speech to keep going, and the piece of music underneath there, da 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 da, da that piece is a piece that Andy wrote for Kirk for for this episode, and that melody comes back when Kirk is walking around the bridge, and a solo trumpet plays it, but we had also recorded. A big, bold version of that theme that Andy wrote. And it wasn't for any specific place in the episode. It was just to do it. And I originally thought, well, let's use it in the closing credits. Let's use that for the closing credits music. And James Kerwin called me one day and he said, that piece of music works fine because James puts the credits together for us. He said that piece of music works fine. I had to do a little editing of it to make it to make it the right length to match the credits. But I had another idea. I'm going to send you a little MPEG-4 and tell me what you think of this. And he sent me that credit or that that video with the 
the cr final credits over black with just the bridge ambience. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. So again, uh, credit where credit is due. That was James Kerwin's idea and it's brilliant. Uh, absolutely. I remember watching it and thinking it was the perfect transition to Star Trek, the motion picture, because, you know, you think of the opening credits of that movie after the, uh, after the musical interlude at the beginning, and it's essentially a black background with white letters, which right. I, I think is, it's the perfect, in fact, I watched Tobolego part two today, and then I watched the motion picture on purpose. Really? Yeah, I did. And it flowed together so beautifully. Does it really? I yeah, hope so. It does. I have I haven't watched the motion picture in a while, but obviously that's what we were going for. Did you watch did you watch the credits uh to our to episode eleven all the way to the end? Did you see the, the very last line? Oh, oh yes. I, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> James is like, where do you want to put this? After we fade off the ship in dry dock? I'm like, no, no, no. And <laughs> let's put it at the very, very, very end. So it's the last thing they see. I, um, this reminds me, I have a, a quick question for you before I actually move on to something else about the episode. Have you given any thought to doing a supercut of these two episodes together? Because they really do kind of play like a feature film. Um, I hadn't thought about it, but I mean, certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Okay. Just a, just it occurred to me today as I was watching it, as I was moving into the motion picture, I'm like, this really feels like one of the original series films to boldly go parts well, one and I mean, two. Certainly, I mean, it certainly would work as such. I mean, you know, it would be it would be literally a simple slamming them together, like, you know, when she goes, you know, uh, relinquish command or suffer this, or the Enterprise will suffer the same fate as the Hood. And then instead of doing all of the reaction shots around the bridge and ending it, just goes straight to the close-up of Kirk saying, you know, uh, whatever his orders were. And you just go right into the yeah. top of a Yeah. Yeah, certainly a possibility. Okay. Well, it's just my little nerd moment there. Don't mind me. Um, you brought up the music just a bit ago, and this is probably a good time for one of the questions from our Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. You know, I noticed that there were just some great notes from the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan and the uh, in the score for this episode. Um, yeah. And Barry DeFord, one of our friends, asks, um, I saw your video, video on editing the episodes for the music. What formal music training do you have? And what would you say is the average time you spend on adding, grafting, and composing material? Well... <laughs> <laughs> I have very disappointing news. <laughs> I have no formal training in music. Um, I have no formal training in music. I, any musical ability that I have is purely a gift from God. Um, the playing the piano, writing, transcription, chord charts, all of it, key signatures, all of it, is stuff that I've picked up from friends that I have a natural, innate understanding of. I can't explain it, nor will I try, except to say that it's literally just a gift that God 
gave me. Um, so answer the first question, I have no formal music training, but I can speak, but I've learned enough about music and spent enough time writing, producing, arranging, recording music that I can speak and communicate in the language of music. So when we were in the recording session with the orchestra, I would, I would be able to take Andy aside and say, I don't, I really don't want the tuba to play that in bar 49. Uh, I, I'd like him to play unison with the trumpet or, you know what, cut it out completely. Or, you know what, right here, let's cut these two measures and, and make them play a B minor chord here instead of an F sharp chord. You know what I mean? Like I, I could communicate in a way that, to make sure that we got what we wanted. Um, as far as how much time is spent, I spend a, I spend a pretty large amount of time on, uh, on the music because I have always felt, and I even said this, I think, in that feature that I did about the, about the music, in the video about the music editing. I've always felt that the music for Star Trek was one of the most, it, 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 it is its own character. The music from the original series was extremely unique and immediately identifiable. And I felt like it was a very, very big part of what made the original series so unique. And so when I sit down with an edit of the episode, sometimes when I'm cutting an episode, I will hear themes from the original series, tracks from certain episodes in my mind. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to finish cutting this episode and then go back and start looking for these pieces of music that I'm hearing in my mind. They're playing in my ear as I'm watching these scenes that I'm cutting these, these episodes. Um, and I will spend lots of time not only bringing in clips from the original series, but as you saw in the, in the video, cutting them together and editing them and uh, changing, perhaps changing the speed or changing a key or cutting the middle out of one and creating something new, um, any number of different tweaks and edits and alterations. And I love, love, love it. You guys, I, I can't even tell you how much <laughs> I love it because in my opinion, music and sound design is everything. Now, that's just me, but I have always believed that the emotional impact comes from the music or the strategic absence of music. Uh, and I don't, what, what I mean by that is I don't mean not using music. I mean using music strategically in a way that when you stop it, it is every bit as impactful as when it's there. Um, Ralph Miller, our sound guy, and I have had many conversations about this. A lot of people want to put music back to back. I mean, wall to wall the whole time. Well, the problem with that is if there's music playing all the time, then it loses its impact, right? Well, yes. Like it, it, you just get used to there being an underscore of music all the time. Then it doesn't have any power. The power comes when you find the moments that play well without music and then you find the right moment 
for the music to begin to accentuate that line of dialogue or that emotional change in the dialogue, etc., etc. So I feel very, very, very strongly about the music and I spend a massive amount of time working on it to make it just right. You know, it's funny that you talk about uh, the music in the original series being its own character. Um, My wife and I are getting ready to sell our home and put it on the market very soon. So I'm doing a lot of painting in different rooms. And I actually have episodes of TOS playing in the background while I'm painting. And (laughs) the music is what I focus in on. I love it. And I don't know if you can imagine me sitting there painting, doing Kirk impersonations as I'm painting. I I sent one to Bill. He can tell you exactly how bad it was. Um, But it it really is its own character. And one of the things that really popped out for me in To Boldly Go Part 2 was the V'ger music that you used with the Congo scenes. Oh, it was great. What kind of story you have for that? It's got to be a story there. Ready? I got one. (laughs) So, as we were, as I was editing the music, I mean, the edit was already done. As I was... As the the edit of the episode was done, it was already cut, and then I was working on laying music in. And I had Andy Farber's – I already had Andy Farber's orchestra stuff. This was literally probably in October. I was dropping Andy's music in, and I thought to myself – I was thinking about the motion picture – And one of the things that I loved about the motion picture music was that badass sound effect, that when V'ger, when, when, when V'ger was, you know, was when they were referencing V'ger or when it was, when the cloud was attacking the Klingons at the beginning. And I'm like, what the hell is that? So I made a couple of calls. And found out that that is an instrument called a blaster beam. Oh, wow. Not only is it this cool-ass instrument called a blaster beam, but guess who created the instrument? Who? A composer-musician named Craig Huxley. Do you know who that is? I I know the name. I'm having a total mind blank right now. He played Tommy Starnes oh, in Children yeah. Shall Lead. That's right. He was the red-haired kid in the Children Shall Lead, and he went on to become a musician composer who even worked with Bill on some projects. He created the blaster beam, which is initially, I mean, in essence, it's like an I-beam, a steel I-beam with piano wires like suspended in it and you run things along it and you hit it with different things and you bow it, you do all kinds, you can create all kinds of amazing sounds. And he actually played the blaster beam for Star Trek, the motion picture. And, uh, and so then I thought, okay, do I know anybody who knows Craig Huxley? So I put out my feelers asking people if they knew how to reach him. And while I was waiting to see whether or not that would happen, I went online and looked up Blaster Beam, and I found some samples. And I downloaded them, and I dropped them in to the music track for episode 11. 
but they were just the same two samples over and over again because that's all I could find. Well, as luck would have it or divine providence in my mind would have it, somebody gave me an email address for Craig Huxley. Wow. And I, I messaged him and I said, you don't know me, but my name is Vic Mignana and I've created this web series and we're putting together the finishing touches on our finale episode. And I would love to talk to you about possibly getting you to do some blaster beam. He wrote me back and he said, oh my gosh, Vic, I love your series. Wow. I'm a fan of your show. If you'll send me the edit of your episode, I will I will record original Blaster Beam to your oh, episode. So I already had in place where I had put the Blaster Beam, right? I already had the samples in place. So I spit him out a version of the of the episode and an uh, uh, an MPEG four of the episode, start to finish, along with the soundtrack. So and I and I told him, Craig, you'll see and hear where I've put Blaster Beam. This is where I want it. And if there's any place else, as you watch the episode, that you think it would be cool, go ahead and add it. But I definitely want it in these handful of places. Well. He did it, and then he exported a stereo track of just his blaster beam that I imported into the session and made a few minor adjustments. And what you have is Craig Huxley playing his own blaster beam creation in our episode 11, just like he did for the motion picture. Wow. Phenomenal. I'm I'm totally blown away. That is that is amazing. You know, you you don't lie, Vic. I mean, when you say you've got a story for everything, you literally have a story for everything. I love this. There is. There really is. And I mean, thought and process and and a great deal of of uh, of 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 love and attention go into every moment of our series. In fact, here's a fun little postscript for you. Yeah. Um, um, when we screened a sneak peek of episode 11 at um, Stan Lee's LA Comic-Con a few weeks ago, I told, it, it's in, it was in LA, and I told Craig Huxley that we were doing it, and he showed up at the screening. Oh, man. And it, and it was the first time that I'd even gotten to meet him in person. We'd talked on the phone. We'd corresponded several times about what, you know, about the blaster beam session, recording session and putting it in place. But I told him that we were going to be doing the sneak peek and he was more than welcome to come. And he showed up with his daughter at the, uh, at the screening. That is so awesome. Yeah. Um, before we get into a couple of the the more serious moments in part two of Tobola Go, I want to talk a little bit about visual effects. Um, there are a lot of VFX shots in this episode, and they're simply okay. gorgeous. And the ships in the last two episodes alone look like actual physical models. It's breathtaking. Yeah. I love the fact that you worked in a saucer separation for the Enterprise. <laughs> oh. You know, that's something Roddenberry always wanted to do, mm -hmm. and he never did it, 
And then, of course, they did it in Next Gen right off the top. But nobody, we've never seen the original TOS Enterprise do a saucer separation. And I thought, man, we, and, and, and that was one of the notes that I gave Rob Sawyer was when you write this script, I want to make sure that we do a saucer separation. And, uh, and he worked it in beautifully. And, uh, and then, of course, talking with Mark Bell about doing it, you know, Mark built all of that amazing inner workings of those, those cool hydraulic-looking things mm-hmm. that connect the two that separated. And Mark just did the most amazing, amazing job on that piece. You know, Vic, I, um, I love the TOS remastered episodes that uh, came out a few years back. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and Bill, I'm not sure whether you're going to agree or disagree, or Vic, you too. I think personally, To Boldly Go Part 1, but more so To Boldly Go Part 2, has the best TOS special effects that I have ever, ever seen in any episode. Yeah, Those shots... I agree with you, even though I'm subjective, you know, obviously (laughs) obviously I'm partial, but I agree with you, and... And I'll tell you why, because when CBS did the special edition, they decided to do it in-house at the last minute to save money. And there are a lot of people who really think that the Enterprise in the special edition looks pretty CGI. It looks yeah. kind of looks kind of computer generated. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I had purposed and spoke with our VFX people about from the very beginning was we want this to look like a model. We want it to look like we actually shot a model. And Mark Bell was on board with that. I mean, he was full on board with that. And, uh, and did, and wait till you, oh my gosh, you guys, we have a feature video like a five or six minute video feature on Mark Bell and his work. And uh, I shot it with him when I went to Ireland and, and spent some time with him. And it's absolutely amazing. And you will have even more appreciation for what he did uh, in, in these episodes than you do now. There are, um, there are two scenes that come to mind off the top of my head whenever I think about the special effects for, for Tobola Go Part 2. The first is when the Congo opens fire on the starboard nacelle and kind of fries it up. Just absolutely amazing. Yes. But the one that I wanted to to bring out as my favorite was the plas- the Romulan plasma weapon hitting the Congo and oh just gosh. ripping it to pieces. Oh, right. man, that was so great. Wasn't that insane? Like, if you if you crank up the brightness... You can see, you can actually see the girders. You can see the 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 girders and the beams mm-hmm. of the saucer section in the close-up as it comes by. It's yeah. Ma- Mark Bell is absolutely a freaking genius, and his work is off the charts, unbelievable. And I have to say something else. How about the dry dock? Oh yeah. You guys, you don't even, you may not even realize this, but let me tell you a story about the dry dock. 
Um, Adam Schneider is a Star Trek enthusiast. He's a friend of Star Trek Continues. Uh, he's a collector. He is the one who was very much behind the shuttlecraft restoration. And Adam Schneider was the one who got us connected with the people at NASA at Space Center Houston to allow us to shoot the shuttlecraft in episode three. So Adam Schneider told me at Star Trek Vegas, I think maybe a year, year and a half ago, that he owned the original dry dock miniature. Wow. And by miniature, I mean bigature. It's 15, <laughs> it's 15 feet long, guys. Oh, wow. Wow. The dry dock miniature is 15 feet long, and it was a physical, you know, physical prop they built to go around the Enterprise. So he told me that he owned it and that it was all, it was all uh, disassembled and in pieces. He said, I would let you shoot it. I would let you shoot with it, but it's all disassembled and in pieces in storage because I'm in the middle of moving. And he said, but here's what I can offer you. I have a loose leaf binder with literally hundreds of reference photos of this piece, close-ups of every single detail of this thing. Well, he sent it to me and I sent it to Mark Bell. And what you see, Mark Bell recreated that dry dock in every detail. And what you see in episode 11 is a perfect, perfect recreation of the very same dry dock that the Enterprise was in in the motion picture. One of the um, one of the funny moments for me in the motion picture is when the Enterprise, the refit Enterprise, is leaving dry dock, and there's that little dude on one of the girders doing a backward <laughs> somersault, and you had the guy in the dry dock when the Enterprise pulls in. Oh I'm my God, who so thought of that one? You saw that. Now let me tell you a story about that. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Bell had already completed that shot. And I said to Mark, I want to have a little guy down in the corner just for scale. And he said, well, let me see. Let me see if I can find or he said, let me see if I can cut out the guy from the motion picture (laughs) and put him in. And he did. And I didn't like it. It He didn't look like he fit in the scene. The lighting was wrong. He was wearing, uh, 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 you know, the spacesuit that he was wearing. And it was clearly the same guy from the motion picture. Plus, you might get yourself in legal trouble ripping a piece that was uh, actually from it. Sure. So, you know what I did? I contacted a guy named Kenneth Thompson, who is also a friend of STC and a Star Trek enthusiast. He was the guy who created a CGI version of Ensign Simone, who was the guy on the hull with Sulu who got blown off the Enterprise 
in our very first episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You remember that? Absolutely. Well, obviously, we couldn't actually blow a guy up and have him spinning away. (laughs) So I had Kenneth Thompson create a CGI version of the EVA suit, the TOS EVA suit. And, and so I contacted Kenneth and I said, Kenneth, do you still have your little CGI guy? And he said, I do. And I said, I want you to make a version of him kind of waving like the ship's coming. And I sent him the shot from Mark and I said, I want him this big and I want him in this position and I want him lit this way and I want this coloring on him so that he matches this scene and Kenneth Thompson made that guy and then I sent that that clip to Mark Bell and Mark composited him into that shot it worked beautifully I loved it I absolutely loved it the little shout outs and easter eggs that are all over this episode are great Vic but I think one that for me means the most was at the end uh, in Nagura's office, and we saw all of the ships lined up, everything from the Phoenix to the NX-01, and I almost fell out of my chair when I saw the USS Discovery sitting yes, there. Yes, right? What an amazing shout-out to Discovery and the folks that are bringing us new Star Trek. That, my friend, was was just such a great, great moment. Uh, congratulations on that. I thought it was beautiful. Would you like to hear the story? Yes. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Obviously, Discovery wasn't even out yet. Right. Um, there had been some preliminary drawings released of what the Discovery would look like. And I asked one of our guys if he, uh, well, when we decided that. We were talking about here's here's the here's the evolution of this moment, okay? We were talking about decorating Nagura's office. What would we see in Nagura's office? And obviously it came up models of the different ships leading up to the Enterprise. And that's when I said, Oh my gosh, we need to make that a story point. We need to make the models go uh, like like have them on display and then have it end with the motion picture model and have Nagura basically say this is what the Enterprise will look like when she's rebuilt. And then line them up and then have Kirk walk along them and follow him along and end on the motion picture Enterprise. And then somebody said, I don't know who we should have the discovery in there as well. And I was like, oh, hell yes. That's a great idea. So then I contacted one of our guys, one of our VFX guys, and I said, can you, we have all these models of the other ships and they're about five, six inches long. Can you design a, dis- a model of the discovery in a 3D program and then 3D print it. And he did. And 
we painted it gold <laughs> and put it in the, you know, just put it in the line with all the rest of them. And it worked out beautifully. Now, what's interesting, and this is a fun little tidbit, it doesn't look exactly like the one does on the show now because they made some changes to it after, but it looks enough like it that you go, oh my God, it's Discovery. Totally. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, so when the when the when Discovery was finally released and we saw the ship, we're like, ah oh, crap. <laughs> you know, it, it, they did make some changes. They did make some additional changes, but um, but not that not that much. It's it's funny um, when that scene was playing. I'd seen it a couple of times, obviously, and then I sat down and watched it with my wife, who, by the way, loves the series. Just wanted to throw that out there. We're watching the finale, and that scene comes on. And I wasn't watching the TV when that scene came on. I was watching her. And because she loves Discovery, we watch it every week together. And mm-hmm. so we're watching it and I'm watching her and it comes across and she just I saw her eyebrow. She did a Spock eyebrow raise and she looks at me and she goes, that's the Discovery. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's a oh Discovery. My gosh, I love it. I love it. And, and let me tell you something else fun about that moment. Um, I said to one of our very beloved, precious team members, John Roberts, who works with the set crew and props. Mm-hmm. I said to John, build me a display for the ships. We need some sort of a base unit. And then the ships need to be on little pedestals along the base unit. And it needs, and, and I build something for me. It's going to sit on a shelf and then we'll make a mock shelf where there's no wall and 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 have the the camera on the other side of it, and Kirk will turn around and walk up to it and walk along, and the camera will dolly along with him. One day at lunch, John Roberts comes back to the studio, and he's carrying the fender of a car. <laughs> and I'm like, "What is that?" And he goes, and he said, "I found it laying on the street. I was driving down the street here in Kingsland, and I saw it laying on the street." And I and I got out of the car and grabbed it because I'm thinking I might be able to make the base <laughs> use it as the base for our for our ships display. Oh my! And I'm word. like, dude, I love you so much. <laughs> and and that's exactly what it is. It's literally the piece off of a car that he found laying on the road, and he spray painted it black, and drill and spaced out the holes and drilled the holes. And put little dowel rods in and mounted all the ships, and it's beautiful. Uh, incredible! I I would never have guessed that that's what that piece was in its original <laughs> life. That's amazing. I love that. Those are the kind of things I love so much. I love taking pieces that you find all over the place, everyday pieces, and reimagining them and repurposing them. Unbelievable. Well, let's let's move to one of probably the most significant losses in this episode. And of course I'm talking about Dr. McKenna. Um, This episode is almost very Shakespearean in the amount of people we lose in, in this episode, but her loss is especially central to Kirk and Spock. When McKenna beams over to the Congo, does she think at that point she may not be coming back or is she genuinely thinking I can negotiate this? 
I genuinely believe that she thought she could negotiate. Okay. I think I think McKenna naively remember she's not a deep space kind of girl. Right. She's not been out on patrol for very long. <laughs> she's not been on the Enterprise for long. She's been at a desk. And she certainly doesn't know the Romulans. She certainly does not she, she's not that savvy, but I think and I believe that that Michelle does too. I think that she naively believed that she could counsel um, Lana and and possibly negotiate the release of our people. I think she genuinely believed that. And I, I think it's not until she got over there and looked into their eyes, pardon the pun, uh, with the, gold, the, the glowing eyes, but looked into her eyes and the conversation in the brig. The conversation in the brig where she's like, Lana, please, you don't have to do this. I will, I will talk on your behalf. I'll do everything I can. You know, please don't do this. And at the very end of that scene, when Lana walks out and says, we will not assimilate into your Federation family. We will replace it. And she turns and walks away, and then it cuts to McKenna. And I purposefully stayed on the shot of McKenna for an extra long time because Michelle swallows. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think at that moment is when McKenna goes, oh, shit. I had no idea what I was dealing with here. I may never see my home, my friends again. Well, speaking of seeing their friends again, <clears throat> what and was it like? Can I say something sure. else about yeah, that moment? Sure. Yeah. Before there was ever a script or a story written for episodes 10 and 11, when we were discussing what could possibly, and I'm talking about two years ago, you guys. Right. When we were talking about what could possibly be the catalyst to make Spock feel like he needs to return to Vulcan and go through the Kulinar. What could possibly be so traumatic and impactful that McCoy would hang it up and Spock would go back to Vulcan. And I was talking with, I don't remember who it was, either James or Lisa. And I said to them, and it came, and I mean, it just came to me like, well, I know what it's got to be. We need to kill McKenna. Now, let me, let me expand on that though. At this point in time, there was no relationship between McKenna and Spock. There had never been a moment where they had any relationship whatsoever. So the moment I said, we need to kill McKenna, the follow-up statement was, we better start building relationship between McKenna and Spock. Right. Right. And, and we're talking about, I mean, you guys, we're talking about episode six at right. this point. 
And, and so literally every script we got, I would say to our, to the people working on the script, we need to work in a little more building of relationship with Spock. A little more, a little more, a little more. Um, and if you think about episode nine, um, you know, McKenna teases Spock at the beginning of nine. Yep. And then if you think about in later in episode nine, when, um, when they're in the briefing room and they start to leave and Spock calls Kirk back and calls McKenna back and says, I have found Dr. McKenna's insights to be really helpful. And, and, you know, and then, and, and McKenna's kind of standing there with a smile on her face and, and, um, and you build a little more connection. And then of course the top of episode 10 is, is really the, the one that puts it over the top where it literally starts with McKenna and Spock meditating together. It's not a romantic relationship. And I, 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 it's very important to me that people understand it's not a romantic relationship. It is an intellectual, mutual admiration kind of a relationship. And, and um, so I guess my point is when we decided even before the stories were written for 10 and 11 that it was going to be McKenna's death that ultimately pushed Spock to make the decision that he made, we realized that we needed to immediately in the episodes we were shooting before the finale, uh, start building that relationship because it would make no sense if it just came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, right. If Spock's like, Oh, I need to go back to Vulcan and Spock steps up onto the platform and he's all emotional seeing McKenna die. People would be like, where's this coming from? Right. Like, this is not, this doesn't make any sense at all. So, um, so that was something that once I decided it was something we, we wanted to use as a very important plot point, we started crafting the scripts accordingly leading up to it. Well, speaking of Spock's emotion, um, of course, we saw probably the most emotion that we've seen out of Spock when he hasn't been taken over by spores or something like that. Oh. And in in a lot of Star Trek and, and Todd did just a, a fantastic job, but I want to ask you what it was like for the three of you filming that final scene with McKenna when she's trapped in the transporter beam. Of course, we know what it's like for, you know, we see what Kirk and, and Spock and are going through and, and McKenna, but what was it like for the three of you as actors to do that scene? Well, I know it was very emotional for Michelle. Um, by that, I mean visibly emotional. Like she was holding back and, and, and I think she might have even shed a couple of tears um, when she was standing on the transporter pad. And I had to tell her, no, sweetheart, no. You're going to be strong. You are at peace. Do not, you can't be crying and make Kirk and Spock and everybody feel even worse seeing you crying. You have to be calm and peaceful, almost angelic, that you, you, you accept 
you have accepted and resigned yourself to what's happening to you. And now you're more focused on making sure they're okay. You know, you you don't want Kirk to blame himself and you certainly don't want Spock to blame himself, which is why the last thing she says is forgive yourself, Spock. Like she's more concerned with them than she is with her own. Oh, I'm going to I'm dying. I'm dying. Tears, tears. No, 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 no. Much more noble and much more at peace with your life and your decisions and now you're more concerned with the people you're leaving behind, not beating themselves up about it. For me, uh, I was much more focused on getting it right. I had, I had played this moment in my mind a million times before we shot it. You know what I mean? Like when, when we were leading up to it and when it was being written and when I was reading through the script and making adjustments – I was playing this moment through in my mind's eye. I was imagining what it would look like. So when we actually shot it, I was really focused on making sure that it looked like I imagined it looking in my mind's eye. It's um, so, 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 and Todd, you know, Todd's a consummate professional. He uh, he's a consummate professional. He he did a great job with it. He's a great actor, and that's why I cast him in the first place. And uh, it was a very I mean it was a very uh, heavy moment. Everybody, you know, there wasn't a lot of joking around. You know, you guys have been on set with us, and we have a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and we joke and we play with each other. Yep. And then we roll and we shoot the scenes. But that scene, there was no joking. And it was very quiet and very reverent as we as we were setting the camera up and taking each of those shots. So, Vic, a couple of minutes ago, you used the word noble when talking about uh, Dr. McKenna and how she met her end. And that was the exact same word that occurred to me as I was watching it. I thought her bravery was was amazing. And as a viewer, I generally appreciated that she was that strong. Um, was that scene always, you know, uh, planned out like that in your mind? Was it always a transporter thing? Or were there any variations of it before you got to this? Um. You know, I, I, when we talked about we need to kill McKenna, when we talked about needing to, to do that as part of our finale, um, the next question is, okay, how, right? Mm-hmm. How does she die? Well, if she just gets blown up, right, or shot or something, that's kind of anticlimactic. So what are the options? And... The obvious option was a transporter thing. Now, the thing about it that when somebody said transporter, I remember coming up with the idea of, okay, let's get her locked, like get her trapped halfway in and halfway out. Far enough in so that she can see the people in the room and they can see her, but... 
but she's but they're not going to be able to bring her all the way in and they're only able to hold her there you know for a short time and they know it so they get their chance to say their goodbyes um and i also worked with matt boardman if you look very closely watch the scene again and you'll notice that it's not just a normal transporter effect there are a bunch of little sparkles and mm-hmm. and reflections uh, going, and I the little starbursts. And I worked with Matt Boardman on those because I wanted her to look angelic. I wanted it to be much more dreamlike and more ethereal and heavenly than a normal transport mid transporter. You know, just stopping them in mid-transport and holding them there would be. So we worked on adding a bunch of little effects and combinations of effects to get it to play, to get the light to glow just right off of her face and to cast a glow and little uh, star uh, reflections and and lens flares and stuff uh, happening off of the transporter effect. Um, and then I started thinking, oh my gosh, we need to hold her there and have, originally it was going to be Kirk and Spock were both going to step up to her on the platform and be on either side of her and say goodbye. Right. And then I think we decided that it would be more powerful if only Spock stepped up there and it would kind of highlight his moment with her as exceptionally special. And so that's the way we decided to do it. And I, and I feel like it worked out perfectly. And then the cherry on top, obviously was Andy Farber's music. Oh, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but you probably did knowing you guys. <laughs> when I was trying to communicate to Andy Farber, what I wanted in that moment emotionally, he had originally thought of something much more, much busier and, and um, I don't know how to put it, but I went back to the Wrath of Khan. Yes. Because obviously we wanted to create the same mood as when Kirk says goodbye to Spock and he dies. Right. Mm-hmm. And I literally pulled the, the cue from the soundtrack. And I dropped it in over the rough cut and I sat there and sobbed. And then I called Andy Farber and I said, I want something that sounds like this. Doesn't need to be these notes. I'm not looking for these notes. I'm looking for this feeling, this attitude. And so Andy created an arrangement that accomplishes the same thing without being the exact same thing and uh and it works perfectly absolutely perfectly you know another fun little thing that i i need to point out here that you guys might not you might not think about it consciously but it's very important when they first run into the transporter room and she's caught mid-beaming you can hear the transporter effect Mm -hmm. yes as you should, right? Right. 
see it, you should hear it. When Spock hits the console and you realize that they're not going to get her back and the music starts to come in, that piece that I'm that we were just talking about. As we were mixing the episode, I was sitting there with Ralph Miller and I'm mix, we're mixing it. And I said to Ralph, we got to get that transport, that beaming sound out of the way. It's ruining the mood. It's ruining the emotional, timeless, sad, empty, heavenly moment between them. Because right in the middle of this very quiet, silent piece, you're hearing (laughs) like, no, 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 no. Right. So we worked and worked and worked until we until we just kept lowering it and lowering it. And I told Ralph, like, it's got to be there. Like, it has to be there. You can't turn it off. Right. Because you're standing there a foot away from McKenna mid beaming. You've already established the sound is there. So you can't turn it off. So you have to work with the subtlety of bringing it down, kind of letting it kind of take a back seat, if you will, you know, just kind of fade into the background. And if you decide to listen for it, it's still there, but it's so far out of the way that the music and the dialogue are what takes center stage. And Ralph didn't, you know, he did exactly what needed to be done in that moment. It, um, it, it, I noticed, you know, that, that it had reduced in intensity. And as soon as I noticed that, the words I said to myself on, sitting on my sofa, even though I knew what was going to happen, was, oh, no. No. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's exactly what happened for me. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful scene. It's a complex scene. And it literally left me a puddle on the floor. It really did. I completely understand, my friend. I even now, I mean, as thousands of times that I've seen it, every single decision, cutting every shot, you know, choosing every element of it, and then seeing it finished and just watch it with people, it still moves me. Before um, before we get to a couple more questions from our Facebook group, I want to talk about the auditorium scene. Yes, um, because it is it, it is as beautiful as everything else in this episode. The three of us in August of 2016 <coughs> had dinner in Boston, Massachusetts, <laughs> and you sat across the table from us and you said, "Okay, what do you guys want to know?" And we said, "Well." Well, we don't want to know. <laughs> we said, we don't want to know everything because we're fans. And he said, all right, let me tell you about the auditorium scene. And you gave us almost every bit of dialogue that Kirk has in that scene were almost word for word verbatim. And watching yeah. it, it occurred to me that, you know, here you are preparing to, as Kirk, to, to say goodbye to the Enterprise crew. Now, as a lifelong Star Trek fan and as somebody who has carried forth Captain Kirk's journey, what was your preparation like before that as an actor? Was it, was it tough to come to that realization that you were saying goodbye to this crew as, as Kirk? It was very difficult. And the fact that I shared that speech with you when I did shows you how long I'd been thinking about it. I mean, how much did we shoot 
after that conversation with you guys, Definitely. after that dinner, right. and yet it was always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has something to do with the impact of it. Because I think even Captain Kirk, somewhere in the recesses of his mind, knows that this is going to come to an end. Oh, maybe not tomorrow. Or maybe not next month. But there will come a day where he will either be killed violently in battle or he will move on and have to stand before his crew and say goodbye. So if you guys were to see the the actual original raw footage that we shot when I did that speech, I'll bet I did it 15 times. And then when I got all the footage in my in my laptop and started editing it, I looked through every one of them trying to find just the right, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, oh, no, 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 that's too much. Oh, that's not enough. Oh, I hate the way that, oh, I hate that facial expression. Oh, I messed that line up. Oh, you know, like going through all of them, just trying to find the best moments of each take and putting them together and then bridging them with cutaways to the audience listening. One of the things that I like most about that scene, Vic, again, it's, it's, it's Star Trek and it's so important to me and everything, but, but again, selfishly, Bill and I had the honor of, of visiting you guys down in Kingsland a couple of years ago and met all of the wonderful people in front of the camera and behind it. And one of the things that I enjoyed so much about this scene, even though it's a sad time for Kirk, of course, he says that his promotion is the bad news, but as we're looking at the, uh, as the camera is looking at the crowd of the crew, there are all those wonderful people from Kingsland that have yes. worked on this project so much and yes. have put their heart and soul, mm-hmm. and that was wonderful. Thank you. Again, another story, if you, if I, if I may, please. When we were talking about doing this, as as we were talking it through and preparing it. I said to Ginger Holly, I need you to round up every freaking uniform you can get your hands on. (laughs) I mean, I don't even care if it's a good one. It doesn't matter. It's going to be in a sea of people. I want jumpsuits. I want everything. Everything we've got. And then we scheduled one afternoon in our shooting day. And I told everybody, this is the chance I want to honor all of you. And I want each of you to have the chance to be to be a part of this. And we suited everybody up, and there were about, if I had to guess, maybe 40, maybe 35 or 40. And we all carpooled over to this local high school where we had made arrangements to shoot in their auditorium. I had scouted it months before with Matt Busey. 
talked through the shots with him and how we wanted to do it. And then we got over there and we set the camera up real high and wide and locked it down. And then we set our 40 people in the first three rows with Spock and McCoy and all of the main characters, senior officers in the front row. And then we paused the camera and we said, okay, now everybody move back three rows, move around, sit by somebody different. <laughs> and then I talked them through the paces again. Okay, you're, you're milling around, you're talking to you amongst yourselves. Kirk just walked out, oh my God, what is he wearing? Everybody gets silent. Now, he just told you that he is taking promotion. Everybody applaud, and they applaud. And so I talked them through it. In every position, we pause the camera, and they move back another three rows. We pause the camera, they move back another three rows. We pause the camera, they move. We did that eight times. Wow. Because it took that many times to fill the auditorium to be roughly 350 or 400 people. Um, had them always move around. Uh, at one point, I threw on a a blonde beehive wig. <laughs> so there's your Easter egg to look for in the in the oh, shot, way way in, way in the back somewhere. I was wearing a a blue jumpsuit and uh, and a beehive wig. But and then we got and then we sat everybody down and shot all of the group shots. And I wanted to make sure and see everybody, you know. And you know what? I got to tell you something. I showed the rough cut to somebody at one point of that scene. And after I showed it to them, a day or two after I showed it to them, they wrote me and they said, I think you should seriously consider cutting, getting rid of some of those cutaways to the audience. Because a lot of them don't really look like, you know, they really belong in Starfleet. And it takes me out of it a little bit. It makes me, it, he said, you guys have worked so hard to make this not seem like a fan production. And I'm just being honest, Vic, when I tell you that I, I think it may ring a little bit of fan production to have all these cutaways of these people in the audience. And my response was, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but these are the people that made this show. And I am not going to cut them out. Good. So awesome. Good. So... <clears throat> My last serious question, so to speak, for you, Vic, is this. Uh, you just were talking about fan production. Um, you've gotten to do things as Captain Kirk that we've never seen before. You get to separate the Enterprise, and and you get to meet the unborn child, um, mm -hmm. and so many different things. Because of somebody's idiocy, the whole genre of fan fiction changed over the course of, the couple, of a couple of years, and you made the decision to cut the series a couple of episodes short. Yeah. So that you could get it done. 
Is there anything that you wanted to do as Captain Kirk that you were unable to do based on that change that you made? Absolutely. I wanted to do a humorous episode. Um, I wanted to do a lighthearted, fun episode a la Trouble with Tribbles, Piece of the Action, iMud, something that had a lot of humor to it. And in fact, I was working with somebody on a script for that episode. And it was going to be, I'll even tell you, I may have told you, but for those of you listening, um, McKenna comes into Kirk's quarters and says, I want to speak with you uh, about the crew's morale. The crew's morale is really low. They're kind of feeling the, the effects of the work in deep space. And and Kirk says, well, you know, what would you suggest? And McKenna says, a musical. <laughs> now, you want to talk oh, about boy. something right down Michelle Specht's alley. Oh, man. She says, I was, I did theater in, in the, in, in, in school. I could direct it and, you know, and it would be a great morale booster. And Kirk's like, well, okay, but I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. Just do it. So McKenna starts recruiting the other officers, Spock's in it. I mean, we have a lot of people in our, in our cast who are really good singers and musicians she tries to get Kirk in it, and Kirk won't do it. She tries repeatedly to get Kirk in it, and he won't do it, right? And so she's preparing this, this musical, and that's kind of the B story. And the A story is that something else is going on. You know, something serious is brewing. But the climax to the episode, that whatever it is that is brewing serious happens and Kirk says, I'm sorry, doctor, but we're canceling the musical. Like it's supposed to be performed on this particular night and time. And he's like, I'm sorry. You know, duty takes precedence. And they deal with the emergency and the crisis is averted. And in the final scene, McKenna's walking down the corridor with one of her friends. You know, she's clearly sad and, and lamenting that it didn't happen. And suddenly they find themselves at the ship's theater and they walk in and somebody's standing on stage under a spotlight. And McKenna looks like, what's going on? And the girl that, that was walking with her takes her down to the front row and sits her down and they start performing the play for her. And Kirk walks out in a costume and does something in the show as well. Um, after the whole time, you know, she'd been trying to get him to do something he wouldn't. Um, it would have been very heart-touching, you know what I mean? It would have been a really yeah. heartwarming moment, and it would have been a really fun episode, really lighthearted and fun, some really great comedic opportunities. That was one of the other two episodes that I wanted to do that we didn't do. And I also, after we did the Kirk starter with the piece of the action stuff, Oh yeah. I thought, man, I would love to do a follow up to a piece of the action. Oh, that would have been Especially fun. since we found the, we found the costumes, we have the car, 
if we could find some sets, some settings that look like, you know, those old offices in the 20s or whatever, I don't know what the story would be. Uh, the Enterprise would have to return to Sigma Iosha, uh, you know, to, to, to get their cut. In fact, I was going to – the working title they had in my mind was The Federation's Cut, <laughs> uh, which would be the name of the episode. But um, again, we were going to make 13 – because of the antics of somebody else, we were cut short. But, you know, I right now at this moment, I'm just so enormously proud of our team and what we've created and what we accomplished. We did it. I mean, we did what we set out to do. We wanted to give an ending to the original series of Star Trek. And that's what we did. So I am enormously humbled and proud of what we've accomplished. And I, I hope uh, people continue to enjoy it for decades to come. I think they absolutely will. You know, Vic, uh, we're coming up on time, um, not because of you, but because of me. But I'm going to no, ask I you. Believe, I can't even believe we've been talking as long as we have. I know. I know. It's, it, it always goes like this. <laughs> I'm going to uh, ask you one of the Camp Kittimer questions, and then I'm going to save the rest of them for another time when we'll have you come back and we'll talk about fan questions about Star Trek Continues. And okay. the. Uh, the question that's been asked a few times is, what will happen to the sets in Kingsland? Do you know at this point? Is there any plan for them? Um, I'm working on that. Uh, we have got some possibilities that are, got some possibilities we're pursuing. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, I don't have any specific answers yet, but all I know is this. They can't be destroyed. No. Like, they they can't be destroyed. They God, have, no. No, no. They have to live on for people to enjoy. There are, I am certain that there are thousands of people, tens of thousands of people around the world that would give anything to, uh, to get to, uh, to walk through the original soundstage, a replica of it. And uh, so I'm working on that. Um, we have a few possibilities and I will, and certainly keep your eyes on our website and our Facebook page for news on that. Awesome. Well, Vic, I'm going to, um, I'm going to have a couple comments here and then I'm going to throw it to Bill for his, his comments. Um, and for me, I haven't scripted this. This is off the top of my head, but what you guys have done is, is nothing short of brilliance. It has been entertaining on so many levels and you have brought the original series back with such a force that I don't think anybody will ever be able to do what you and your team have done. Um, I love you guys and the cast and crew so much for what you've done, getting to know you, um, watching these journeys has been amazing. And, and to me, and I, I mean this with every fiber of my being, your 11 episodes to me are canon, even though they officially aren't. When I talk to people about the original series, I will tell people that there are not 79 episodes of the original series. There are 90 episodes of the original series. Nice round. I can't, That's a nice I, number. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Um, thank you so much for what you have done. Uh, they are going to live forever, man. And I hope that you are just as proud of the work that you have done. Um, 
as excited as you were to to do this dream of yours because it came true and it was phenomenal. Thank you, my friend. God bless you for that kind word. I I hope and pray that that is true. I I do not believe that it will that if anyone will ever do anything like this again. I think I think we've done it about as good as it could be done. And uh, and there's no reason for anybody to do it again. Um, <laughs> But uh, I am extremely proud of every single person in our production team. I don't think that anybody that worked with with STC seeing it through to the very end was an accident. With the exception of two or three people, we have had the exact same production team and cast from the very, very beginning. And I don't know if you've thought about it, guys, but that's extraordinary. Yeah, it sure is. I mean – when you consider that we're not paying anybody, I have no leverage to hold over anybody's head here. I can't say, well, dude, I'll give you 10 grand, you know what I mean, to, to do this, or I'll, you know, I'll pay you $5,000 or $20,000 to do this. There isn't any money to be used as leverage, and everybody in this production knows it, and yet, and yet, they show up. Every shoot, do a kick-ass job, and we've had the same team in front of and behind, which is even more important, behind the camera since the very, very beginning. Like I said, with a very few exceptions, we've had the same people involved. And I think that speaks volumes about the quality of the people that have been a part of this production. And I'm so, so grateful for every one of them. As we, as we wrap this up, personally, um, I would like to say, Vic, you know I love you like a brother. I thank Thanks you for... Friend, and I, you. I thank you for your passion. I thank you for your vision and for rekindling the love that so many of us fans of the original series have had for, for so long. It took me back to a childhood I didn't always want to remember but to the best part of that childhood, which was going on these adventures. Good. So as I know, this won't be the last time we talk to you on Trek Geeks, because I I tell you this, you're coming back, whether you want to or not. I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, we could talk about the the production as a whole and these last few episodes uh, plenty more times, guys. So let's plan to, to continue the conversation a few weeks from now or a month from now. Absolutely. And we also want to talk Requiem for Methuselah with you because we do that kind of thing on this show. Um, Absolutely. um, You have been a friend in the truest sense of the word to both Dan and I. You know, um, you have called us at times we didn't expect just with the hand of friendship extended when events have happened in our lives. And the relationship we have developed with you has meant more than we could have possibly known at the time. So um, we love you. We love everybody associated with Star Trek Continues. Congratulations on a monumental and epic 11th episode that speaks to the very heart of Star Trek, my friend. Thank you. And guys, thank you so much for, for your support and enthusiasm. You guys have been uh, a, a real gift a real blessing and a real gift to me personally 
and to uh, I know to the rest of the production team. So thank you. And you know, in case I I forget to mention it, well I did forget, but um, a lot of us are working on a lot of new things. Um, I'm currently directing an anime series in Dallas right now. I'm actually talking to you from my hotel room in Dallas. But uh, myself and several of the other Star Trek Continues people are working on a short, uh, a really cool little short right now called When the Train Stops. Um, it features John DeLancey and Michael Forrest and Lisa Hansel's producing and, and Kipley and James and several of, of us are involved in it. Very Twilight Zone-esque kind of a short film. So uh, I'd love for your viewers to uh, to look that up and check it out. And, and uh, thank you so much for, for being such good friends to Star Trek Continues. And I will look very forward to us continuing this in the future. Absolutely. Nice. We'll have all the Let's information for when the train stops in just a little bit. Vic, thank you so much again. And uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, and uh, we'll (laughs) talk again soon, I hope. You got it. You know, Dan, one of the reasons that Vic has been an eight-time guest on Trek Geeks is because of his passion. And that conversation we just had with him was was every bit of Star Trek as Star Trek continues. It was beautiful. It was a great discussion. And like we said earlier, he's really got a story for just about everything. He does. It's so great. You know, we've talked to him eight times. This is the 11th episode. And his excitement and, as you said, passion for talking about this uh, this show – it just it just keeps going up and up and up. This one was uh, listening to him was such a joy. I was sitting back when he would get on a roll, and I just had this huge smile on my face because I could tell that he had a huge smile on his face, telling everybody about it. Absolutely, you know one of the great things about about Star Trek continues and about Vic in particular is that this certainly isn't going to be the last time that we talk about either on this show. You know, Vic is going to be back here on Trek Geeks. I, I want to, I absolutely want to talk Requiem for Methuselah with him because oh, I would yeah. love his insight. I would love to have him on for a variety of, of discussions. And, you know, who knows, maybe we can do some some behind the scenes on specific continues episodes. I think that would be amazing. Oh, I think it would be great. Just his... God, I mean, it sounds like a broken record. I mean, it's no it's no secret. We love Star Trek Continues. We love Vic. And we will always talk positively about what goes on because there's no reason not to. It's that good. The people are that great. And they're our family. And we will always support them. So I can't wait till we have him on again because I know we're going to get more stories. And, and I'd love to do a Mystery Science 3000 type episode with him someday. Maybe we can do one of, of, uh, of STC and, and we'll uh, check with him on that at some point. But I think that'd be very cool, don't you? Oh, I think that'd be great. I'd, I'd love to do it with something like, though, and the children shall lead. Oh. That would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> so, so, Dan, toward the end of our conversation with Vic, we were running out of time because I had a time commitment. Mm-hmm. Vic was willing to give us whatever time we needed, and unfortunately, I'm the one who had to jet, so 
So I'm the big jerk, but we didn't get a really big chance to talk about his newest project. Right. It's a short film called When the Train Stops, and it involves so many people that you and I know and love. And, um, you know, we, we absolutely want to tell people about it. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the big jerk thing, that's that's par for the course. So uh, nothing nothing new there. But anyway, um, yeah, there's a lot of great people from Star Trek Continues that are involved in When the Train Stops. It's being directed by James Kerwin, who directed To Boldly Go, Parts 1 and 2, as well as several other Star Trek Continues episodes. And producer Lisa Hansel, who we just love to death, um, is is a she was a producer with uh, Star Trek Continues, and she's producing When the Train Stops. And you know what's really great is all of the a lot of the people that are involved in this short uh, story about regrets and redemption have Star Trek ties. Of course, Michael Forrest, who played Apollo in both the original series and Star Trek Continues, is in this, as well as John Delancey, who no, needs no introduction as Q from The Next Generation, as well as in uh, one of the more recent episodes of Star Trek Continues, Vic Mignogna needs no uh, uh don't need to talk about him because we just talked to him for two hours so that was pretty cool and kipley <laughs> brown the hero of to boldly go part two in my opinion um is also involved there's so many great people involved they have a great um uh crowdfunding page over on indiegogo right now for when the train stops and the good thing about the folks that are involved in this one bill is you know we can guarantee and they can guarantee that they're going to deliver on the content that they promise with crowdfunding. And as we've seen with Star Trek Continues, and it's going to be the same thing with When the Train Stops. I have no doubt in my mind. I agree with you 100%. They, um, they've got a consistent track record of delivering actual content mm-hmm. that you know based on the funds that people donate to them in crowdfunding. Sure. And it's a project that you and I support and that I'm happy to, to donate to as, as a fan of Star Trek Continues because... I appreciate the work and effort of those involved, and I know their track record, quite frankly. Very well said. We know that uh, when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. They're not going to beat around the bush. They're not going to lie to you. They're not going to just not produce anything. We're going to get what we expect, and I'm sure that when the train stops is released, we're going to enjoy it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I am too. I mean, I love Twilight Zone-ish type things, and it's really kind of got that vibe. Plus, I mean, let's be honest. uh, James Kerwin is fabulous, and mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what he does with this. I mean, I, um, I'm i excited. I really am. So we want everyone to check out their Indiegogo. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes for the Indiegogo. And, of course, uh, if you're looking for it, you can. Uh, I know you can find it on uh, the Star Trek Continues Facebook page. And we'll be sure to throw it on ours, too, Dan. Wow, sounds great. I like it. And and when you go to the page and check out uh, the crowdfunding, check out the perks, folks, because there's some good stuff that they have available for this production. I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, Dan, you know what else I'm looking forward to, my friend? Uh, next time we get together to talk Trek Geeks? No, or I'm five not year mission. That at five-year mission is what it's going to be. Yeah. I was going to say year four, baby, because it's almost here. Wow. Fark says soon, and that means we're going to be enjoying a brand new five-year mission album, my friend, with brand new music. I cannot wait. We have to thank everybody in the band five-year mission they are so dear to us they are every ounce of music you hear here on trek geeks and without them you know uh we'd have to listen to a whole lot more of dan and nobody wants that so please head on over to fiveyearmission.net download all their albums please become a big fan and while you're at it let creation entertainment know that you want 5ym back as the official house band of stlv 2018 dan 
Yeah, you know, what's kind of cool is Fark had a video the other day to talk, well, not really talk about the release, but he had a little video about their upcoming release, and he had the Live Long and Prosper Vulcan Salute, and he transformed that just by moving his fingers into four for year four. I've been trying to do it with my hand. I can't do it. My fingers get stuck. I just can't do it. But, you know, nothing makes me happier than listening to Five Year Mission, and the Ferengi have actually made it a rule to listen. It is the fifth rule of Farquisition. Listen to five-year mission or risk a visit from Brunt FCA. Wow. Um, short and sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was short. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the rules no. of Farquisition. Yeah. They're important rules. You know, you shouldn't be laughing about them, Bill. You don't want uh, you don't want the Grand Nagus coming down on you. No, Mm-mm. no, no, not at all. No. That would be bad um, for a variety of reasons because that's <laughs> probably you. So yes, please head on out to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums. Dan, we want to remind people that they can subscribe to this year podcast on a variety of platforms. Let's see. Let let us count the ways, shall we? There's hmm. iTunes and Apple Podcasts. One. There's Google Play. There's iHeartRadio. Three. There's Stitcher. Four. Dan, there's also now the largest streaming platform on the planet. And of course, I'm talking about Spotify. That is right. You can get this here podcast on Spotify delivered to your earbuds every single week. It's fantastic. Wow. Find out more, head on over to subscribe.trekgeeks.com. You can find an entire litany of places or even get our feed to subscribe in your favorite podcast catcher. Uh, Dan, next Mm. week, um, (laughs) these airwaves are going to be a little quiet. Yeah, a little bit. You know, uh, right now we're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. uh, And so we're going to take a break next week. But in two weeks, Bill, we are going to be back. And we're going to tackle what many consider to be one of the finest finales in television history as we continue our celebration of TNG's 30th anniversary. Simply put, it's all good things next week on your independent Star Trek podcast. I love it. I can't wait to talk about that finale. I had so much emotion when that you know aired in 1994, and uh, I think it's going to be a great discussion that's coming up in two weeks right here on Trek Geeks. Dan, we want to remind everyone that for more great Star Trek discussion, they can check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. Seriously, they have so many podcasts. I guarantee you, you were going to find something that makes your inner Star Trek geek happy. Um, just go over and visit them already. Seriously, do it. Disco Trek is killing it. Politrex is fantastic. Politrex. All of their other shows. It, just so much great content. And Dan, of course... For all the news on all the Star Treks, we want everyone to head on over to treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 121 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper and have a happy Thanksgiving. In honor of the passing of Dr. McKenna, there will be no coconut reference this week, Bill. What? (laughs) Dan. Dan. Did somebody have a Kleenex? Uh, tissue? Forgive yourself. Coconut. I, thank God you didn't say coconut yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
Bing bong. Bong bing. <laughs> hey, buddy. How are you? How's life um, down south? Uh, not too bad. It stays a little lighter down here at the end of the day, but um, it was uh, pretty chilly when I got up this morning. Rental car didn't have uh, an ice scraper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it was in the mid 50s uh, in Maine last night when I was packing up the truck um, after a soaking rain in the morning. And by the time we uh, had done one run to the storage unit and then pa- packed up my truck to come down to New Hampshire, the temperature had dropped about, I don't know, 15, 20 degrees. And when I got up this morning to go to work, there was snow on my windshield. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't yeah, happen to no a nicer traffic. guy. Well, Thanks. congratulations on finally having a job. I know it took a while, and and I know you're going to pay for it in a few days' time. <laughs> yeah, I did this to myself. <laughs> you did do that to yourself, and I am going to remind you of that every single morning. Although I have to tell you, while I was down here in the metropolitan Atlanta area, I had lunch today with uh, Paul, um, who's been listening to Trek Geeks for for ages, like since we nice. started almost three years ago, and it was a great time. He was so kind. He actually. He actually took me to lunch, which I wasn't expecting, but it was a great conversation. You know, he, he used his lunch hour to have lunch with me, and, you know, it was uh, we talked a lot. We had a lot of great conversation about Star Trek and about uh, about things. We talked about you, so obviously the, the conversation <coughs> took a turn there, but, um, you know, it was a great time. I wish I wish we had had more time, honestly. Wait a minute. What, what did you say about me? Uh, the conversation took a turn. I felt pretty nauseous after talking to you. So, <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of nauseous, uh, I was treated for lunch today at the chicken truck. <laughs> oh, and dude, I had the, the ch- poutine sub. <laughs> oh, see now you went about this all wrong. I wish I'd been there. Okay. So, and, and you know, for for the chicken truck, we you know, we used to make a run to to get chicken bites you know, routinely when I worked at my other job. Mm-hmm. And uh, you always want to start with like a 10-piece and some honey mustard. Okay. I guarantee you those chicken strips will change your life. Uh, all right. I will do that next week then. Next Monday. That, absolutely. With you. With me. <laughs> You're bad birdie on. <laughs> it's a tribble. <laughs> Tribbles are not dangerous. Usually you're the one doing the tribble talk. I know that was very good, and Thank you've been you. doing some great Gorn impersonations as of late. I must say, yeah. And do you know how excited I was the other night when Arena was on Heroes and Icons. There's my weekly Heroes and Icons plug. All right, if you're going to keep plugging Heroes and Icons, we better like start to get a sponsorship deal with them because I, they're getting I lots of be. free Trek geeks advertising. They're getting a lot of free Trek, Trek geeks advertising, but there's no H and I down here, so I'm not going to be able to see it anymore on H and I. There is. There's H&I. Uh, not at my sister's house. We can't find it. What? Uh, that's because your sister is boycotting you because of Alex Trebek. <laughs> you tell me what channel it is on Xfinity and I will pull it up. Yeah, I'll have to look. Obviously, I can't do it right now. But uh, well, I've, I've, you, If you would apply yourself, you could. Uh, I could if my <laughs> sister's house had Wi-Fi that was worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> As it is, I mean, I'm talking to you on Google Hangouts on my cell phone while I record separately right at this moment. And you sound fantastic. Uh, I sound mellifluous, to use the words of Dan Davidson. As a matter of fact, I used that term when speaking with the wonderful Matt from Trek Zone the other day. I used mellifluous tones. 
That's right. You were on Trek Zone. I haven't had a chance to to watch slash listen to it yet. Did you do video at all, or was it just audio? I didn't. It was just audio for me. So every time it went to me, it was a picture of a microphone with my name next to it, which was probably <laughs> better for people watching. Oh and yeah, Matt made no comment of that that I probably have a face for podcasting. So thanks, Matt. <laughs> you don't even have a face for radio. I mean, your face is what? so bad wow. it's for podcasts. Wow. So, uh, so we had a great time. So obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in the metropolitan Atlanta area. Oh, and this no. morning here, they imploded the Georgia Dome. Yes, they did. It's been all it, over the internets. It was live on television. I'll tell you, it was only the second biggest implosion by Atlanta in 2017. Wow. Oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> that I wish is I could, beautiful. I wish I could take credit for that. A friend of mine who, uh, who moved down to Atlanta about a year ago or so. Um, posted that on his Facebook wall, and I laughed so hard I had tears streaming down my face. So, but it is so it's so true. That is great. Uh, which one is bigger? Uh, we don't even have to answer that. We know what the answer is. Yeah, it's not the Georgia Dome. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we're I imagine we're going to tell people there's no episode this coming Tuesday, um, because it is the Thanksgiving week. Oh, that's true. Yep. Okay. Here. Um, so, how are you spending Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm I'm in my new home now. So Sue's going to get down here on Wednesday afternoon, and since I'm considered essential personnel at my new job, I will not be getting out early Wednesday. Um, so when I get home from work Wednesday night, Sue will be here, and she will be here all through the weekend with me. She'll head back up to Maine on uh, Sunday night. And uh, then just, I'm, I'm pretty much down here now, except for the following weekends after. I'll be heading up to Maine until the house sells. Oh, wow. Very cool. I um, yeah. Well, if I were there at work, I would also be considered essential personnel like you. Oh, so good. I would be right there with you. But uh, Excellent. I'm not I'm not this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being there for my first week, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> there are about 20 or 25 people that are going to be here total at my sister's house for Thanksgiving. Oh, my. Oh, we're going to have a nice whittled down number this year. I think 11 is what we're going to have at my brother's houses this That's year. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It'll be peaceful. Yeah. And then I will yeah. be at uh, an annual Christmas tree lighting that takes place here in the town my sister lives in uh, Thanksgiving night. So right after uh, – Nice. Right after fo- – or during uh, football, the late game, and uh, we come back to our house and have pie afterwards. So it's always a great time. Pie is always good. Oh, pie is fantastic. <laughs> speaking speaking of pie, I am. A, did you know I am a stone's throw from OWC Self Storage? I mean Studios. I saw <laughs> I saw that message you sent me this morning, and <laughs> I gotta say I laughed pretty damn hard. <laughs> I you're probably like, you're probably uh, putting out more content right now in this discussion than they ever will in that studio. <laughs> People saying you should drive by. I'm like, yeah, I can't be bothered. Right. I'm having, <laughs> I, I'm here enjoying time with family. I'm having fun. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be invited right in to sit in the chair. Uh, oh, well, wait a minute. They don't have a chair yet, do they? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe they do. <laughs> well, there would have to be a chair, right? <laughs> oh, God. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Uh, you ready to do this day, Slappy? I am ready. I am willing. I am able. I am employed. So it's a good thing. It's a good day. <laughs> wow. Uh, you didn't leave a whole lot on the table there. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's do this.